You're the Boston Celtics. You're in the Eastern Conference in the ninth position, 27 and 25. You've got two of the best young wing players in the NBA, both just coming into the beginning of their prime, and you can barely stay above 500. The Celtics front office, Brad Stevens and company, they have to make a move. And this is an obvious choice because the workload on Tatum and on Brown is just too much. Teams are just loading up on them. They need another guy who can score and create for others, but alleviate pressure off both those wings. Right now, it's just a struggle. When you watch the Celtics play, they get no easy shots. Everything is hard. Everything is a grind. The truth of the matter is, when you look at the roster top to bottom, there just isn't enough talent, or at least, I would say, talent that fits their skill sets around those two wings. Love Marcus Smart, a winning player. You'd want him on your team. But as your starting point guard, he's not really a natural creator, and he's not a consistent enough shooter to be a threat night in and night out on offense. I really think Brad Stevens in the front office have to make a move before the trade deadline. And that's just part of the story in the Eastern Conference. You're the defending champion Bucks. Guys have been in and out of the lineups, which is something that other teams have dealt with as well. But as I watch these Bucks, yes, when you have Middleton, Drew Holiday, and Giannis all healthy, they're a problem. But if they've got a weakness, it's rim protection, and I think they could use another perimeter defender. The trade deadline is coming up. I think a guy like Robert Covington checks those boxes. A very good individual defender, not a great one, but he's a terrific team defender, terrific at show, recovering, help defense, coming from the weak side. And even though he's a small forward, a wing, he's terrific also at rim protection. Plus, he can help space the floor because he's a solid enough three-point shooter. I think Robert Covington helps the Bucks, And that's really what this first episode of the NBA Cypher, this first episode back is about. It's about the trade deadline. It's about the Eastern Conference and which teams will make moves to garner that top spot. It's the NBA Cypher. We're back. Let's go. You don't have to sell me on how competitive the Eastern Conference has been this season. You've got four teams with 31 wins. You've got another Miami with 32. And if you factor in the Nets with 29 and 20, with guys in and out the lineup, you've got six teams with legit shots to get the number one seed heading into the playoffs. And I think going forward with the trade deadline or the silly season, we like to say, right around the corner, I think that's going to greatly impact the conference going forward. Every team, when you look at those contenders, all six of them, and then throw in the Celtics, who are still in the mix, along with the Young Hornets, all of those teams have needs, have weaknesses. The Chicago Bulls love the backcourt of DeRozan, Levine. I like that they have Caruso, Lonzo Ball. Those are two of the better perimeter defenders in the league, 
The Bulls are out without them right now with injuries, but even at full strength, Chicago has a weakness in the front court. They're very small. They don't have a four who can consistently get rebounds and get buckets. I think Chicago, they do have the assets, They and they need to be all in. You've got Vucevic, 31, DeRozan, 32. This run that you have right now, this core that you put together, it's probably a core that's going to be a problem for the next two to three seasons. If I'm Chicago, I'm going in on this core. They need to acquire a four, a four or five, who can get you buckets, get you rebounds, and give you some more size. I'm looking at a team like the defending champion Bucks. Granted, all teams have been hit with injuries and the COVID protocols. But if Milwaukee has a weakness, it's rim protection, and they could use another perimeter defender. I think a guy like Robert Covington is a perfect fit for Milwaukee. He's a 6'7 wing, but he's a terrific wing help defender. Not a great one-on-one defender, but when it comes to show, recover, and coming from the weak side, Covington is one of the best in the NBA. He also has the ability to hit timely threes. I think the Bucs will make a play for Covington. I think the Sixers, when you look at Philly, and as great as Joel Embiid has been, and I have him one or two in the MVP talk with John Morant, the Sixers are 31-19 and 19 without Ben Simmons. And that's a testament to Doc Rivers. That's also a testament to the development of young players like Maxi. More minutes to guys like Thibel, Shake Milton. Tobias Harris has been Tobias Harris. Rock solid. You can book him. 19 points, 8 rebounds. That's what he does. Still, unless they add a legit number two option to alleviate pressure from Embiid, the Sixers are wasting an MVP caliber effort by Joel Embiid. They are doing him a disservice. I know Daryl Morey wants to get this super deal. And the reality is, I don't think it's out there. I think you can get a very good deal for Ben Simmons. But this idea that I'm going to get a superstar for a superstar, that will never that will never occur. It's just not going to happen. Because I, I don't see Ben Simmons as a superstar. He's an all-star. And he's had maybe superstar-like moments. But he's not the kind of guy that you can build around and make him your franchise player. He's a star, but he's a complimentary star. He's an elite defender. Terrific at pushing the basketball. Great court vision. But basketball isn't all about what you do in the regular season. It's also about what you do in the postseason. And Ben Simmons hasn't really been that big in the postseason. So I'm not sure the value that Daryl Morey puts him at stacks up with how the rest of the league sees him. That said, the Sixers need to make a decision on Ben Simmons going forward because whatever they do or don't do will greatly impact Joel Embiid's future. Then look at Cleveland. No one saw this. I, I know I didn't. I knew Darius Garland had talent. I knew he was one of my favorite young players, but he's had a season that I didn't see coming. I thought he still was in that development stage, and he just took a major leap this season. He's not only getting buckets, He's creating shots for everybody else on the team. Everything the Cavaliers get offensively 
it's because of Darius Garland. And I love Evan Mobley. Oh, Evan Mobley. Love what they've done because they're one of the teams that they, they actually play big. And I like that about them. But I think that if they want to go on a deep playoff run, the Cavaliers need to add another shot creator. They need to add another guy that can get buckets from the perimeter consistently. Because right now, everything is dependent upon Darius Garland. Going forward, I think the Cavs do have the asset to pull off some kind. It doesn't have to be a monster trade. But there are guys out there who are, how should I say it, in, in a perfect role. A guy like a Dennis Schroeder. I think Dennis Schroeder, he's one of those guys that kind of goes between starter, six man. I think his role is six man. I think Dennis Schroeder is the kind of guy that if he just embraced it, went to the right team, he's going to be one of the top six men in the NBA for the next five years. He's a natural bucket getter, one of the quickest first steps in all the NBA. And he's the kind of player that coming off the bench, I think the Cavaliers desperately need. When you look at Boston, you have two of the most dynamic wings in the NBA and you are struggling because you don't have floor balance, because you don't have a third guy that can take some pressure off of them. I'm not sure what Brad Stevens is going to have to do, but the smart move is you don't trade Tatum or Brown. You find a way to bring in some talent that can complement their skill sets. And if that means having to move somebody that I love, a Marcus Smart, a veteran like Al Horford, or giving up a couple of picks, if it means keeping them together and actually making them better, then you do that. You make that move. I'm looking at Charlotte. I'm looking at the development of Miles Bridges, LaMelo Ball. I like what they're getting from Terry Rozier. The only thing they're missing, because they, they're not a consistent defensive team, they need rim protection. They need a big that cannot just block shots or deflect shots or alter shots. They need a big that can end possessions, meaning that if they stop you, he snatches up that board. That is the end of your possession. If Charlotte gets hold of a big like that, that team right there could be a problem in the postseason because offensively, they have everything you need to go on a deep run at every position other than center. I'm looking at Miami. I think the Miami Heat are still the deepest team in the Eastern Conference. You've got Jimmy Buckets who can get his own. He can facilitate, can still defend at a fairly high level. You've got Tyler Hero who has a, a shot to be not just six men of the year, but the most improved player of the year. Kyle Lowry has provided toughness, and he will be big for them in the playoffs. Trust me on this. But I do think Miami needs another guy. They need, an, they need another shot creator. I, I think when you look at the shooters that they have, because everybody's always talking about they need shooters, they need shooters. Miami has plenty of shooters. What they need are more shot creators to best bring out what those shooters do. I think if they can add another shot creator, Miami, has, they're going to be in the finals. They're going to be in the conference finals and maybe the NBA finals. That's how much I think of the Miami Heat. And I know some people will say, well, look, if they get back a healthy Victor Oladipo, that's the guy you're talking about. And I agree 100%. If Victor Oladipo can come back, 
and let's say he's 85% of what he was. If he's that, if he's that, then Miami's going to be a problem. Trust me on this. Going forward, though, I think the biggest disappointments in the East, it's got to be the Hawks and the Knicks. I didn't expect neither team, Hawks or Knicks, to go as have the seasons that they had last year. Obviously, the Hawks, they're in the conference finals. And then the Knicks, they were the fourth seed last year. But I didn't think the drop-off would be this big. Now, granted, there have been some injuries. But the, the drop-off, it shouldn't be this steep a drop. And, and the franchises, even though their records are very similar, they still seem to be going in different directions. You know going forward, the Hawks are committed to Trey Young. That's their guy. So whatever goes on, whatever assets you trade and bring in, it will be around Trey Young and his skill set versus the Knicks, who are now questioning whether or not Julius Randle is that guy. So let me answer that question real quick. Julius Randle is a very good basketball player. Julius Randle on a championship contending team is probably your third best player. If he's your best player, he's good enough to get you into the playoffs, but he's not good enough to take you beyond that. He's a very good player. I don't know what the Knicks are going to do, but if they're, if they're going to commit to him, they've already given him the big contract. And if they believe, if their front office believe he's that guy, then you're going to have to put pieces around him that complement his skill set because he has a unique skill set. And let's keep it 100. If you watch the Knicks play, even though he'll get you five assists here or there, Julius Randle is a ball stopper. Not just a ball stopper. When he gets the ball, he basically drains out the 24-second clock before making a decision to shoot or pass. And I, I really think when you watch the Knicks with him, this is going back to the series versus the Hawks. It's feast or famine. And it's pretty much been that way since that series all the way into where we are in this season with the Knicks currently 24 and 27. So while I am a fan of Julius Randle, I don't think he's a franchise player. We'll take a break. We'll come back and then we'll finish up trade talk. <laughs> I just said that, and I stick by that. I'm a Julius Randle fan, but I do not believe he is a franchise player, and I'm sure there is not a lack of Nick, of Nick fans who's going to correct me and tell me they believe him to be a guy you can build around. I'm a Laker fan, so I seen Julius Randle as a rookie, obviously getting injured in his first game, but when he came back, I saw his potential. I thought, here's a guy who can play the four, but would be a great small ball five. And his numbers bear it out. 2017, 2018, 16 and 8 as a small ball center with the Lakers. With the Pelicans, 21 and 8. His first year with the Knicks, 19 and 9. His second year, which was last year, his breakout season, his career season, 24 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists. But here's the thing he was also an efficient scorer, 46% from the field a career-high 41% from three. His skill set and his abilities have not changed from last year to this year. But he has become a less efficient player. And the biggest reason is he's still taking five threes a game, but
but instead of shooting 41%, he's shooting 30%. Instead of getting to the free throw line six times a game, he's getting there about four times a game. Instead of shooting 46% from the field, he's shooting 41% from the field. And a lot of that is pressure. The thing about franchise players, the guys that you know, like a Luka, like a Joker, like a LeBron, like a Dame, franchise players, they can handle pressure. They can handle the responsibility. They can handle the heat when things are going well and when there's a struggle. Julius Randle, to me, going forward, is going to be a very good player for any franchise he plays for. But if you're the Knicks, is he your guy? And I just don't believe that to be the case. New York has enough talented in developing players when you look at R.J. Barrett, the acquisition of Cam Reddish, Grimes, Quickly, Obi Toppin. If the goal is to win a title and you know you're not a title, they weren't going to win a title last year in his career year. But you know in this season, you're not winning a title. Going forward, let's say next season, it should be about building not just culture, but putting together and developing a roster that can contend for a title. I think the Knicks should highly consider moving Julius Randle and developing the young talent they have. They're already one of those teams that I think should be sellers. And the pace and the path that the Knicks are right now at 24 and 27 bears it out. And look, going forward, we talked about this, and and we usually do this time of the season. You're a buyer or you're a seller. You're one of those franchises who you think you're that close. You're a piece away from really contending and making a leap, or you're one of those franchises that you know it's time to move salary and to move bodies because you're not going anywhere. You look at the, the, the Orlando Magic. You look at the Detroit Pistons, the Pacers. And, and Indiana is probably the more surprising of those three because the Pacers with Sabonis, with Miles Turner, with Malcolm Brogdon, with Karis LeVert, you would think that team, along with some of the other complementary pieces, that they would be at least a playoff contender. And it's just not bearing out. Detroit is in the middle of another rebuild, which is why having Jeremy Grant on the roster doesn't make sense because he's not part of their future. Orlando, same boat. The Wizards, they have to make a decision. Everybody's wondering about, does Bradley Bill want to stay? And he says he wants to stay to win something. But in reality, anyone who knows the NBA, who follows the NBA, knows the Wizards aren't going to win anything in the Bradley Bill era. Wizards management, it's time to move on. It's time to rebuild. And I think that's what it comes down to, buyers and sellers. And it's the same way, even if you're a young, up-and-coming franchise, look at the Cavaliers, look at the Charlotte Hornets. Both have young talent. Both are in the playoff hunt. And they probably need to make smart, I would say, around-the-edges moves. Although with Charlotte, like I've said before, they really do need a rim protector. Cleveland obviously needs another guy that can create off the bounce. But I think when you're those two teams, you're not in panic mode. You want to do well. You want to go on a deep playoff run. But you're looking at your roster 
you're looking at the developing young talent and you're developing stars and you're thinking we'll have cap space, we'll be that much better next season, which is true. When you look at the Cavaliers, they're probably going to move Colin Saxton and some other one of the uh, some of their other veteran players because I think they're going to go and try to add more young talent around Garland, around Evan Mobley. I love that they play those bigs with Allen, with Marketed. This is a fun team to watch. I'm going to say it one more time. Buyers and sellers. That's the key. And it's the same way in the Western Conference. Next episode, we're going to get into the Western Conference. Who's the buyers? Who's the sellers? The pretenders and the true contenders. Not to mention, who's not getting enough respect for MVP? Thanks for this initial episode coming back. It's been a year to this day, like I said. It's the NBA Cypher. Next time. Oh, you know, man, oh, you know, man, oh, you know, man.